Christian Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Shabbat Shalom. As you know, we're continuing the footsteps to the coffin, which is kind of a subset of the footsteps of Messiah series. We're taking a not even a detour. We're just slowed down on the road to take a look at these two alabaster women. So just to review from last week, remember, we're looking at the alabaster. And of course, we, we've gone through the you know, why were they washing the feet with the hair? We've gone through a lot of those principles of the hair. Why is the hair important? Now we're looking at the alabaster. Why did it have to be alabaster vials of perfume? And the specific perfume, of course, was nard or spikenard. And we looked at some things that, that were understood about alabaster and that were understood about spikenard as it relates to the Passover lambs and the deliverance from Egypt. And it's just wondrous in terms of the prophecies that these women are not just acting out, but the prophecies they're they're passing on for the future. You know, as we listen for the footsteps of Messiah, as we listen for his alabaster legs, remember Song of Songs 515, it talks about how the lower legs of the bridegroom are made of alabaster on pedestals of gold and how his appearance is of the cedars of Lebanon. And we know cedars of Lebanon can symbolize the temple because the bones of the temple were made from the cedars of Lebanon. And so as we're listening for the footsteps of Messiah, we're listening for those alabaster footsteps. We're listening for the place where the kingdom of heaven meets the earth. That was one thing that the feet represented, if you'll remember, because remember the the pavement of the temple was made of alabaster. Beneath the pavement is the earth. Above the pavement is where the priest's bare feet would minister in the temple. So that alabaster represented the place where the kingdom of heaven meets the earth. And again, the nard, my great, you know, wonderful friend, Cheryl, she sent me some spike nard so I could smell how earthy it was. And it is, is extremely earthy odor to it. And so it helps us Think of the earth right underneath the alabaster pavement and how Yeshua came to bring the kingdom of heaven and reclaim this kingdom on earth. But a great thing to remember about alabaster is that it shares the same word in Hebrew as linen. The same Hebrew word is actually fine linen. It's not just linen, linen. Uh, It's not everyday linen. It's the finest linen that the priests would wear in the temple. And so that Hebrew word is sheish, sheish. So when the the priests would minister on the sheish, the alabaster pavement, they were wearing garments of sheish or linen. So it has the quality of something that, that has a white appearance to it, something that's bleached white or something that is being bleached white. If you've looked at alabaster, you can still see the little veins of maybe a gray tone to it. But it gives you the appearance of something being bleached white, uh, turned white, which is, you know, very similar to us. We are being turned white through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're being sanctified and set apart as a royal priesthood. But there's another interesting quality to sheish, 
You say, well, what else could there possibly be? Well, sheish is a wonderful word because if you're counting in Hebrew, you count like this. Echat, shtaim, shalosh, arba, chamesh, sheish. It's six. So we have alabaster, we have linen garments, and we have six. How you spell out the number six in Hebrew. And not so coincidentally, the number six is the day of mankind's creation, which begs the question, who was created to rule? And we're going to be teaching on this next week at River of Life on this topic, who was created to rule? We're going to review some things from the angels of the four winds, the encampments of the Israelites in the wilderness, the temple. What was mankind created to do? Mankind was created to rule. And so the creation on day six or Yom Shishi, if you're if you're gonna make it, you know, the number out of the, the week, you say Yom Shishi, which is from Shesh, the sixth day. So he makes the beasts first, and then he makes the man second. He's really clear. The beasts are to reproduce after their kind, after their kind, after their kind but the human being is made in the image of Elohim. He is of a different kind. And so you say, well, why were two created on the same day? Why couldn't man have just like a whole day that was all his? Well, you know, we've got the birds and the fish. Those were two kinds of creation. On the fifth day, one kind of mirrors the other, but definitely they are of different kinds. They are not of the same kind. They are on the same day, but they are separate. Most birds will die if you hold them underwater too long. And certainly a fish will die if it stays on land too long. Same thing with the beast and the human beings. We might have an appearance that we are the same, but we are not. We are not after their kind and they are not after our kind. We are different creations. And so with the beast, we can see the principle that we learned might have been several weeks ago, but remember we learned about twins and pairs, twins and pairs in scripture. And when you see this pattern, often what is happening is that the first of the twins or the first of the pairs, it opens the way for the second one to come in. The first opens the way for the second one. So keep that filed away somewhere. So on day six, day Yom Shishi, Shesh, how is the way opened for the appearance of those who were created to rule on the earth? Well, the first, the beast, opened the breach, we might say. The beast opens the way. So in a sense, we are a twin or a pair, right? Because we're both creatures. We're both created beings, but yet we are not the same being. Well, we are not of the same kind, but we have been paired on the sixth day of creation for a particular reason, that the creation of the beasts, that which was earthly, earthy, like the nard, remember the spike nard, that which was earthy opens the way for that which is spiritual. We are after the image of Elohim. So there's a similarity, we're pairs, but we're not identical one opens the way for another, right? So what were you created to do is the question. What were you created to do? You were created to rule. 
you have some of the same qualities of a beast. You have a soul. You have what is called a nefesh in Hebrew, a soul. And your soul is your appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect. Beasts have all four of those. Appetite, desire, appetite, desire, emotion, and intellect. They have all those. It doesn't make them human beings. Neither does it make us beasts. We're of a different kind because we have something that was not given to the beast. They have the breath of life. They are living creatures, but our breath of life comes from Elohim himself. It doesn't come from an earthly source. It doesn't come from a lower source. It comes from an upper source. So our kind of breath on Yom Shishi is different from the breath of a beast, if that makes sense. So that'll kind of be our starting place today. Uh, I don't know if I'll share slides with you today. I may just ask you to follow along. But that that helps us, I think, to remember, you know, if we're looking at the sheish as the alabaster pavement where the, the priests would minister, that helps us remember we are a nation of priests. We are a royal priesthood. We're not Levitical priests, most of us. We're not Levitical priests. Levitical priests minister to the 12 tribes of Israel. We are after the kind of a royal priesthood, and we minister to the nations. We are that go-between with the nations. We're those helpers and those servants of Yeshua in his kingdom who can help him to manage the nations as he's sending the word forth out into the nations. It helps us to understand what the ultimate plan was. It wasn't just for Adam and Eve to be in the garden forever, but for eventually, as the earth was replenished, for them to rule from the garden and to send that word of creation, that living word, out into the nations of the earth and the territories of the earth and to begin to sustain it and grow it in a manner very similar to what the garden was. They could have brought the earth to a a better state of being, which is why we have two creation accounts. One is explaining one thing, and then one is explaining another thing, and then we can put those two together and we understand we were created to rule over the creation. And we're told that very specifically. In the book of Genesis, we were created to rule. Then what would you do? We forfeit it. <laughs> we forfeit it because number one, we didn't pray. And number two, we didn't obey. If you want to rule, if you want to remain in the garden, you must pray and obey. You say, what do you mean pray? Remember what they were so afraid of after they sinned? It says they hid themselves because they could hear the voice of Elohim walking in the garden. He came and he spoke with them. They could hear his voice every day. It's a matter of prayer. And there's different kinds of prayer. We're going to talk about that in the future. What are the, what are the different kinds of prayer? What kind of prayer should have been happening? And when we fail to pray about a major decision, then the earth will suffer because we were created to rule. And if we're going to rule, then we have to have the mind of Messiah in those decisions. So we we don't want to sin and hide ourselves from prayer. We don't want to be afraid of the voice of Elohim. When he wants to talk with us in the cool of the evening, why would we be afraid? We want to consult him. We want to get the mind of Messiah on our decisions. And then number two, we have to obey. If he tells us to do something, or not to do something, we have to obey that. 
if we can't do those two things, not only can we not rule in the garden, we're going to be completely ineffective in the rest of the earth as well. You say, well, why is the earth in such a chaos that it's in? Because we have been fairly ineffective at doing those two things, communicating with the one who created us and obeying the one who created us. And Yeshua is in the process of restoring both of those things, right? Thank you, Yeshua. All right. So let's go on. Uh, I want to show you again, just to remind you again about the feet, why the feet are important as a as a symbolic place where the kingdom of heaven meets the earth. And that's remember, she's pouring out that spikenard. She's pouring that out on Yeshua's feet and wiping it with her hair. Why are the feet an important place for her to anoint and to weep the tears of repentance? Well, again, if the spikenard smells like earth, and I've smelled it, guys, it really does smell like, I hate to just say dirt, because <laughs> dirt sounds so, you know, dirty, but it smells like dirt in a good way. You know, some of us, we like to work in the garden and we actually like the smell of dirt, but this spikenard, if this is what it represents, she's pouring it out on the place where Yeshua's feet are dirty. In fact, and not dirty in the sense of unclean, but they have made contact with the earth. They have made contact with the earthiest, lowest part of what a human being is. Remember, he formed us from the dust of the earth. But what sets us apart from the animal kingdom? Well, he formed a soul within us. Well, they have that too. What else sets us apart? The Ruach, the spirit, the Holy Spirit of Elohim within. That's what sets us apart from an animal. And so as we look at our feet, it represents like, well, what's the lowest nature of a human being? The earthy part of us. And guess what? That body of earth and the animal soul, they're in cahoots. They are always in cahoots because your body depends upon your soul to keep it alive. Without your soul, you're dead. Remember, appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect, all those things work together to keep your body alive. If you quit eating, you'll die. If you quit thinking, you'll die. If you quit feeling, you'll die. How do you feel when you see a lion running towards you at full speed? If you don't feel good, you run. <laughs> you need those feelings to keep you alive. You need those feelings to let you know when there's a predator out there. Desire. If you didn't have desire, then we couldn't replenish the earth. There wouldn't be any more human beings. We would very quickly die out. So in and of themselves, those parts of the soul, they're not evil at all. They're your life force. They perform a function. They keep your body alive and your body knows this. So your body's more accustomed to listening to your soul. It's less accustomed to listening to your spirit. But see, the spiritual part of you is what should have authority over the soul and the body. It just seems like to the soul and the body, sometimes the spirit doesn't know what it's talking about and they just take things into their own hands, right? Now, if your soul sees a lion running at you and it tells you to run, believe it. You should run. Okay, <laughs> believe your spirit in such a in such a case. But when it comes to the matters of obedience to the Holy One, you cannot always believe your soul because your soul will tell you, no, that's going to kill us. And your spirit says, no, that's faith. That's what faith is. If the word says this, if the word says it is written, in that case, you believe your spirit, not your soul. 
because your spirit's trying to keep you alive. And these two are knocking heads together. It's very difficult, you know, now that, that we have fallen into this sinful world, it's very difficult for the, the soul to believe the spirit, number one, and then to obey the, the authority of the spirit, number two, because remember, your spirit is coming from that heavenly place. It's coming from Elohim. And so we're constantly getting our heels over our heads, right? If we had our head over our heels, we'd actually be in good shape. But often the soul and the body work against the spirit, and then we get the heels over the head, and then we do all sorts of somersaults, and then we're sore the next day, right? Because we sinned. We didn't have the faith to trust it is written over, I think I feel I want. So that's an important, the feet, what they symbolize is that place where earth is going to meet the human being. And so she's going to pour out that nard on the feet. It represents that earthy part of us, but it's the part that's going to be resurrected, right? That earthy part of us is going to be resurrected. It's going to be restored to the soul or the soul is going to be restored to the body and the spirits in there, you know, having a happy dance because we've been resurrected from the dead. So this woman with the nard pouring it out on Yeshua's feet, she's recognizing him as the resurrection from the dead. You know, you talk about the footsteps of Messiah. He's coming with resurrection. He's coming with salvation. And she recognizes him for who he is, right? So feet are important in terms of symbolism. So I want to look at a verse in Genesis 49.33, and it's kind of a curious turn of phrase here, but it helps illustrate what we've been saying about the feet and how they symbolize like the alabaster for heaven and earth meet, because as human beings, we are unique. We were created to kind of fuse in those two realms to be able to bring that heaven to the earth to be able to operate as we ruled and reigned, to be able to operate in those two realms, which the beasts were not created to do. They were not created to rule. They weren't created to go back and forth between the two realms in order to accomplish missions on behalf of the Holy One. We're uniquely that creation. Uh, that's why we're different from angels. They are spiritual beings. They can take on a human form, but it's, it's not their natural state of being. Uh, it's not their created state of being. So let's look at this verse right here. Let's just get to it. It says, when Jacob finished charging his sons, and what that means is, remember, he had given blessings to the 12 sons, which are considered the blessings on the 12 tribes of Israel, the blessings on the 12 tribes. These are the blessings with which they were created to rule and reign in the earth and to bless the rest of the earth to be able to open that faucet of blessing to the nations. So he's finished giving them these instructions, how they can bless the nations with these blessings he's left upon their heads. It says, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. He was gathered to his people. Uh, and that's what happens to the righteous when they die. Just like Yeshua's parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus was a, a righteous man. He was gathered to his people. He was gathered into Abraham's bosom, but the rich man was gathered to his people and they're not so righteous. They're kind of stingy, self-centered, narcissistic people. And the rich man 
He's aware of Lazarus and he thinks somehow it's not that far away. And he says, Father Abraham, you know, tell him, tell him to help me or Father Abraham, let's let somebody go warn my brothers about this place, about our people down here. I don't want to be with these people and I don't want them to be with these people. And he's like, sorry, dude, you know, there's a huge gulf. I know you, you're aware of the gathering of you know, Abraham's bosom and the righteous there, but you can't be there right now. You've got your own gathering going on. And I can't go send somebody to to fix your brothers back on earth because if they're not going to believe, you know, Moses and the prophets, they're not even going to believe one who's risen from the dead. Uh, kind of bad news, you know, for the rich man. But there is a gathering to like kind and like mind after you cross over. And the rabbis noticed that there was a curious turn of phrase there. It doesn't say that Jacob died. It says he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last. And Rashi, as he's commenting on this, he says, our rabbis of blessed memory said that this implies that our father Jacob did not die. And you say, now, wait a minute. Yes, he did. He died. And yes, he did. Did his soul separate from his body? It did. But he's not dead in the sense of a wicked person, right? He's going to be gathered to his people. He's going to be gathered to Abraham's bosom at this point. And so there's dying, and then there's dying. If you die without hope, if you die without salvation, if you die without Yeshua, if you die without uh, having that transformed life, then well, you're, you're kind of left at the mercy of the second resurrection and that judgment. But we want to be in the first resurrection. We want to be in the resurrection with Messiah Yeshua when we hear that shofar sound at the Feast of Trumpets. And so this is the gathering place of the righteous. You know, Abraham's bosom is the gathering place of the righteous while they await the shofar, the sound of the shofar and the, the greater resurrection of the dead of the body of Messiah. So in that sense, they're not really dead. They're still communicating. You know, the souls are under the altar. They're aware of time, even though time isn't the same as it is here. You know, they're crying out and saying, how long, O Lord? Well, when you say how long, that implies that you do have a per some perception of time. It's just not the same as ours once you cross over. So they're, according to tradition, they're given a white robe but you also see that in Revelation, they're given a robe and told to rest for a little while. They're just resting in Abraham's bosom. But when Jacob crosses over, we have a clue. It says he drew his feet into the bed. The implication there was that the rest of him was already in the heavenlies. The rest of him was already in Abraham's bosom. He just needed to draw his feet in. And they say, this is what the death of the righteous is like, because it's not really dying. It's just the death of the body that's going to be later restored. It's just a matter of time. And so for a person who's been living righteously, all they really have to do when they breathe their last is just pull their feet into the bed. And what does that mean? That part of you that's still coming into contact with the earth in a realm of sin and death. Yeah, you're in the world. But that isn't your world. You're already functioning like you're in the kingdom of heaven because you are in the kingdom of heaven. When you're praying and obeying, you're in the kingdom of heaven. That's what Yeshua came. He came to save you so that he could draw you. He could sanctify you and just draw you into heavenly places with him so that you can be hidden with him. The only thing that's not really hidden from the world in a sense is your feet. They can still see your feet. They can still see the part of you that's attached to a physical earth. 
uh, the part of you that's that's still awaiting a resurrection from the dead. And so when it's time for us to cross over, if Yeshua doesn't return first, if we've been praying and obeying, it's just a matter of pulling our feet in and awaiting the resurrection. Uh, so we don't have to worry about our relatives. They're, if they were righteous in their generation, each generation is different. And they have to act according to the righteousness of their generation. But if they live lives of righteousness, all they had to do was pull their feet in and breathe their last and then be gathered to Abraham's bosom. And then we'll see them again at the first resurrection. You know, we're actually right now, we're the ones who are missing, not them. We got it all switched around. They're not the ones that are missing. We are right. There's there's more already gathered than probably will be, I, I guess. Uh, I don't know. But there's a pattern here. And again, this is why I encourage you to do workbook one, either by watching the videos, you know, you can watch the video series on Hebraic Roots Network. You can watch them on YouTube. You can listen to them on the podcast. Uh, you can do an online Zoom class with Keisha Gallagher, or there's lots of other great uh, instructors out there that we've certified to teach it. You can just do the workbook by yourself. You can buy the workbook and do it all by yourself. If you're a good reader, a good studier, but as you learn that paradigm in workbook one, you are learning the paradigm of the seven spirits of Adonai, and it's it's in the pattern of the seven-branched menorah. As Isaiah lists them, you know, you've got wisdom, understanding, counsel, uh, the spirit of Adonai, power, knowledge, and reverence. And so we really unpack those and look at what does that mean? But there's also a counterpart to that. To those who are not walking in the Holy Spirit, there are other spirits out there that aren't holy. If you're not walking in the Holy Spirit, then you kind of fall into a category of walking in the seven abominations of the wicked lamp, which is that's mentioned twice in Scripture. One of them is in Proverbs, where it talks about the seven abominations, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. What would I say? A proud look, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart devising wicked plans, feet running quickly to evil, a false witness breathing out lies, and then one who separates brothers. Those are the seven abominations. And so they kind of correspond. When you're not walking in the Holy Spirit, you're probably walking in one of those, one of those manifestations. And the fifth abomination, remember, is feet that run quickly to evil. Feet that run quickly to evil. All right. So if, if the symbol of where the kingdom of heaven and earth meet is the feet, then you can see why that is so abominable. Your feet should not be running quickly to evil. Your feet by this point should be transformed to the spirit. And instead of running quickly to evil, your feet should be primed to either be pulled into the bed, should you cross over before Yeshua returns, or awaiting the sound, the voice of Elohim in the cool of the evening, the voice of the shofar resurrecting you, calling you into the, you know, to, for a restoration, to be able to function uh, like Yeshua. He knew how to walk in the spiritual places and he knew how to walk in the earthly places with his feet. That's why we want to run quickly to evil. We want our feet uh, to be resurrection feet instead of feet running quickly to evil as the fifth abomination. We want feet that run to holiness and obedience and prayer. And that corresponds again to not just the fifth feast, which is the Feast of Trumpets, the resurrection of the dead, 
of the greater body of Messiah. It also corresponds to the fifth spirit of those seven spirits in Isaiah, which is Gevura or power. And one of the, the powers of Gevura is the power of resurrection. That's why it corresponds to the fifth feast, which is the Feast of Trumpets, the resurrection of the dead. Well, the spirit of Gevura or power is the power of that resurrection from the dead. Like I said, it's it's pair, it's it's little twin on the other side is going to be the third day, the resurrection day of Yeshua. So the three and the five. So you want to run on that fifth day instead of running quickly evil. You want to pull your feet into the heavenly places with the power of resurrection. And then the very next spirit is called Da'at. And it corresponds to the sixth day of creation. That is a spirit of intimacy, an intimate kind of knowing. Yeshua, just like Yeshua said, and there's going to be people who said, oh, we did all this stuff in your name, but depart from me. I never knew you. Knew in Hebrew, da'at. That's to know in an intimate, experiential way. And so if your feet you know, are walking in obedience, then you are going to develop intimacy or da'at with Yeshua. You're going to develop intimacy with the word. And what do we know about Da'at? It corresponds to the sixth day of creation, where he created a human being who was one, yet he was two. He was two, yet he was one. That's the intimacy that we're talking about. Adam knew Da'at, his wife, and she conceived. That's a unity of spirit right there. And that sixth day, remember Shesh, the alabaster is the number six? It corresponds to the sixth feast, which is Yom Kippur or Yom HaKippurim, technically. It's the day of atonements. It's the day of coverings. That's on the holy side of things. So our feet, we pull them into the bed, we pull them into the kingdom, and then what? Yeshua gives us an atoning robe. Remember the, the changes of garments that the priests had to do on Yom Kippur? Well, you don't just have Yom Kippur. Remember, it's Yom HaKippurim. It's the day of coverings. And they're pulling, putting, they're doing multiple robe changes. They will go from the, you know, the royal looking robes of the priesthood to the plain sheish, to the plain linen robes of the priesthood. And these are all pictures of atonement. There's all kinds of coverings on the day of Yom HaKippurim. Well, as we look at that running toward holiness, on Yom HaKippurim and the atonement of Messiah. Remember, there's a wicked counterpart out there, just like feet running to do evil. Well, the sixth abomination is a false witness breathing out lies. A false witness breathing out lies. Well, we want to be the opposite of that. We want to be a faithful witness like Yeshua. He's called the faithful and true witness in Revelation, right? We want to be that too. We want to be faithful and true witnesses. And the way to be that faithful and true witness is to breathe out truth, to breathe out words of obedience, to breathe out prayer. So man is created on the sixth day, sheish, corresponds to Yom HaKippurim, corresponds to a faithful witness, breathing out truth. Can you see why if we have these robes, of the, the royal priesthood, that we don't have to be afraid of his voice walking in the cool of the evening, 
that we wouldn't have to hide ourselves. Instead, we know he has hidden us. We don't have to hide ourselves. He has hidden us in him. And now what scripture says, we are hidden with Messiah in the heavenlies. The rest of your body right now is hidden with Messiah in the heavenlies. And sometimes the part of you that's hidden with Messiah in the heavenlies wonders what in the world your feet are doing. <laughs> Can you imagine? You know, sometimes we talk to ourselves, you know, when there's nobody around and we know we need a good talking to, we might say, self, why are you doing that? Self, you need to watch your mouth. Mine says that a lot. And so we're talking to ourselves. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to be part of that conversation, that internal conversation that we're having with ourselves. We're letting the voice of Elohim speak through us and to correct us so that our feet will be in perfect alignment with that part of us that's hidden in Messiah and the heavenlies because we were created to rule. And if we were created to rule with him, then why are our feet doing such stinky things? You know, you can have stinky feet. And if you've ever smelled somebody's stinky feet, you like you get why the dog might fall over backward. Stinky feet are the worst. But Yeshua told his disciples, remember at the Passover when he washed, he says, the rest of you is okay. You're all right. You've come to know me. You've come to believe me. You've come to accept me as your Messiah. But your feet are going to get dirty. As you take this gospel over the mountains, take that good news out there to the nations. And, you know, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. They're coming as representatives of Messiah. You're going to come in contact with your feet, with sin, with uncleanness, with people who aren't faithful and true witnesses, but they are these false witnesses breathing out lies with proud looks, lying tongues, hands that are shedding innocent blood, hearts devising wicked plans, feet that run all over the place going to do evil things and see evil things. You're going to come into contact with that. You're going to come into contact with people who have no reverence of Adonai. They're going to be the exact opposite of everything you were created to be. So yeah, as you get out there in the world, you're going to come into contact with stuff that gets your feet dirty because that's the part of you that's still here. But you are hidden with Messiah in the heavenly. So he says, wash your feet. Disciples, wash one another's feet. What does that mean? Keeping accountable to one another as you walk through this world to make sure that, that the people, the disciples who are walking with you your community, just like with the seven assemblies of Revelation, they needed to look at one another and say, oh, baby, your feet are dirty in that situation. What are you doing over here messing with this idol? You know, there's there were specific things that these seven assemblies were doing that was not clean. And so we need to be accountable to one another. And that's what community does. It offers us an opportunity to wash one another's feet with the word so that we can be a true witness instead of being perceived as a false witness breathing out lies. Because with this side of our mouths, we're preaching the word, but with our feet, we're doing unclean things. And so that's going to be the, the place to overcome. It's going to be with our feet, with the places that we're still touching the world, right? But we want to be faithful and true witnesses. Uh, if it helps to think of when Yeshua arose from the dead, 
when the women go to the tomb, uh, remember they're carrying the spices and uh, of course they had wrapped him in linen. The, the men had wrapped him in linen when they placed him into the grave. But we know those grave clothes, they're you know, lying there folded. But where's Yeshua? Well, in the place of Yeshua, where they thought Yeshua would be, there were two angels. And they were sitting at the head and the feet. And these angels are wearing linen. So linen can represent the clothes of those who overcome death through Yeshua's death. His linen grave clothes were folded and left behind. He had taken on the heavenly linen of resurrection. And this is what he's offering us. You know, they might wrap us up in grave clothes someday. But they're going to be left behind. Because at the resurrection, at the sound of the shofar, we will be changed. And we will take on that heavenly sheish, that heavenly linen of resurrection. Uh, we will be made completely clean. But in the meantime, we have to keep our feet clean. Right? Okay, so let's take a look at um, Workbook 5, Volume 1. Workbook 5, Volume 1. And why are we doing that? Well, every now and then I'll write something <laughs> good. <laughs> you never know when you're writing something if, if it's good, not good, very good, very not good. But in this case, I think we did a really good job of helping us understand how to break open the coffin, because this is what Yeshua is going to do for us. He's going to break open our coffins. But in the meantime, we need to be like these women with the alabaster vials. We need to be willing to break open a coffin that's holding us inside. And this, again, I think this is why both women are bringing alabaster vials of perfume. And of course, we have this, if you want to reference it again, I like to use Luke chapter seven, the whole chapter, because it, it gives the preface of resurrection from the dead when Yeshua raised the young man from the dead. But as you drop down from Luke 7, 36 to 50, we get where Yeshua is correcting Simon the Pharisee. And uh, he's very judgmental about this woman who is weeping, wetting Yeshua's feet with her tears, wiping it with her hair, kissing his feet, right? And that's why we study, well, what is a kiss in Hebrew? Well, a kiss is a kiss. A kiss can also be a, a correct answer. And a kiss can also be a weapon, all those things. And we can see it being used in all these ways in this particular story about Yeshua and the woman with the alabaster vial. But what we noticed is that the woman washed Yeshua's feet with tears after she anoints them with a broken alabaster vial, with a broken shish, a broken vessel. Why was it broken? Well, if you've ever seen the vials, the even the pottery from that day and time, you just there's a stopper in the in the container, and you know it can be sealed up with wax until you were ready to use it. But then the little stopper could go back into the vial. If you didn't want to use all of it, then you just put the stopper back in there and save it until you need it again. Well, what we know about these women is they're breaking these vials and 
because this is following on the miracle of resurrection from the dead, we can see that somehow this is symbolizing resurrection from the dead. The alabaster is sheish, but also linen is sheish. Not coincidentally, when Israelites, Jews, die, they are wrapped in a linen garment. It's not just a garment of sanctity, it's also your death garment. Because that in which you were buried, linen, is that in which you will be resurrected with a greater kind of linen, that linen from above. So the, the alabaster is the physical vessel that's holding the, the, the aroma inside of the vessel. And remember what that aroma of nard represents. The earthy part of you, that soulish animal part of you being broken open and given to Yeshua for salvation. But see, if you hold anything back, he, he's coming to save your soul. He's coming to save your nefesh, nefesh in Hebrew, appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect. Because we know the body will eventually be broken anyway. But we don't always want to let him take all of our soul. We hold something back. There is some appetite, some emotion, some desire, some part of our intellect, our ideas that we don't want to give to Yeshua. So we put the stopper back on the vial. Say, I'll give you this much, Yeshua. I'll pour this much out on you. But you know what? I've got this little idea about things, and I'm going to hold on to that one. I'm not really ready to give that to you to, to die and be resurrected yet. Or there might be something that we desire. There, there might be something we just love, and we don't trust Yeshua to take it, break it, kill it and resurrect it to a holier place. We just don't trust him to do that. Well, you know what Yeshua said to the woman? He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She trusted him with everything. She breaks it. She doesn't hold back one thing. She gives him her whole soul, everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever led her to sin so many sins, she gives it to him. She gives him everything. And when she breaks it, she has lost the opportunity to hold on to any part, to hold any of it back. Clearly, Simon, the Pharisee, was holding something back with Yeshua. This woman held nothing back, and her faith saved her. And this alabaster, it's a symbol of the soul being made white and being broken. She's prophesying even of Yeshua's impending death when his body will be broken for our benefit. And she recognizes this, and Yeshua sends her in peace. She had the faith to break the alabaster box of her soul. And when she did that, it released the aroma of the ruach, the aroma of the spirit. See, when your soul dies, when you are crucified daily with Messiah, when you are giving him everything that stands between you and him, everything your feet pick up that don't belong there, that don't belong in the kingdom, that you would be kind of afraid to pull those dirty feet into the kingdom at the end and account for them. Give him your feet. Give him your feet too. Whatever has dirtied your feet, whatever you have not trusted to give him, you say, well, you know, I'm hidden with Messiah in the heavenlies, but there's some stuff stuck to your feet. You need to give up. You need to trust him with those things. Break the vial. Don't hide it. Don't hold it back. Just break it open. Because see, once you break it, you can't take it back. It's out there in the open for him to fix for him to heal, for him to forgive. And when that happens, that earthy smell of the nard, that earthy smell of the feet, all of a sudden that which didn't smell so good, it starts smelling really good because your faith 
has transformed it with the blood of Messiah, with the blood of the Lamb. Repentance. This is what we're talking about. Just because you've been saved doesn't mean you don't need to keep repenting when you sin. You do. He's sanctifying your feet. He's getting your feet ready to pull in to the kingdom. And so we have to quit hanging on to those things. The alabaster box is beautiful. Your outside is beautiful. But what's inside? You're going to have to break the soul open to release that precious ointment. And if we will do that, if we will give him everything inside of us and not hold anything back, yes, it's going to hurt when it's broken. Something beautiful has been broken. Some of our beautiful ideas are going to be broken. Some of our beautiful habits are going to be broken. But in its place, it's, it's going to be replaced by the Spirit. It's going to be replaced by an anointing. It's going to be replaced by more faith. And so Adonai, he is trying to crack our shells. He's trying to release the life within us. Watchman Nee wrote this. I I don't remember the, the year, but I quoted this in the book where he's talking about the alabaster vial and being willing to just break the whole thing. He says, we are not antique collectors nor are we vase admirers. Who should be those who desire to smell only the fragrance of the ointment? We should be those who desire only to smell the fragrance of the ointment. Without the breaking of the outward, the inward fragrance of the alabaster box will not come forth. Why then should we hold our outward man to be so precious, especially if the outward only contains the fragrance instead of releasing the fragrance? So we we have to prepare. We do have to prepare. We have to recognize that, yes, our feet will get dirty. He will allow us to find those places where, you know what, we thought we were giving him everything in the alabaster, but as it turns out, we just capped it. And we said, you can't have what's left in here. I'm too afraid to give you what's left in here. I don't have enough faith to believe you can fix what's left in here. And what did the man without faith say? Forgive my unbelief. Sometimes we have to cry out like that. Just forgive my unbelief. Forgive me for thinking you can't fix everything that's wrong with me. He can fix it. We don't know when, but it has to start with just breaking that bottle open, just smashing that bottle and saying, I'm going to pour it out all on him. All my earthiness, I'm just going to pour it on him. And it's going to mingle with the blood of the lamb. And like the rabbis say, when the the blood of the Passover lambs, it's like the smell of nard. It's like the aroma of nard. And it will cover the stench of death from Egypt. That's what you're asking him to do when you pour out that vial, when you break it open and just pour it all over his feet. Say, I can't hold anything back from you. You already know it's there. I don't want this dirty stuff on my feet. For I don't know when I'm going to pull my feet into the kingdom. None of us know. But when I pull my feet into the kingdom, I don't want there to be anything on my feet that I didn't trust you with because the good news is in his feet and the good news of your resurrection, your whole resurrection. You don't have to hold anything back from him. You can give it all to him. And sometimes we think we have. And then as we go through life, his spirit will show us a place that, no, I think you put the stopper back on here. Would you care to give it up? And we say, okay, you know what? I'm going to break it. I'm going to think I'm breaking it. Sometimes we think we're breaking it. We're really just pouring a little bit more out of the vial. 
And maybe that's a lesson too. If he showed us everything that was wrong with us at one time, we would despair. And maybe sometimes we do have to let it drip out until our the, the fountain of faith in us increases. But his goal is to get every last drop of our earthiness out of that vial so he can turn it into a pleasing sacrifice in the nostrils of the Father. When we mix our repentance with Yeshua's blood, the blood of the Lamb, the Father smells a pleasing aroma. That which was earthy gets transformed into that which is heavenly. It goes into the upper realms. And I hope that encourages you. I know it encourages me because, you know, as you look back on life, you realize you thought you gave everything, but as it turned out, no, I just put the stopper back on the bottle and I kept that one. I just didn't trust Yeshua to fix that one. I would have been really embarrassed to pour that one out in front of him, especially with a whole crowd of people watching like Simon the Pharisee sitting there to judge me and all the townspeople, like how dare she go into this house and throw herself down on her knees and in front of this rabbi. How dare she? What impudence. Does she have no shame? You know what? Had they no shame than to criticize somebody who's willing to burst through a crowd who will do nothing but judge her and go to the one who will understand what she's doing. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.